This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to our show. Uh, I want to say something that nobody but Tony and I actually see this, but uh, every week now since we're recording remotely, my name comes up on the screen, and every week it gives Tony a different name. And this week he is Patient Scientist. I don't know what the names, but... Is that just randomly? Is that randomly generated? Yes, it is, and it you could put your own name in, but when you don't put a name in, it just gives you something random, and it's it's just interesting every week to see what they come up with for you. Well, I'm not uh, sure if that's entirely uh, accurate, but neither well, a patient nor a scientist. Well, you're no more, you're no less a scientist than everybody else claims to be scientists. That's true. So I thought I'd start the week with. Um, I thought was what was good news with uh, General Flynn uh, having charges dropped against him. But just as I got on tonight, I realized, oh, wait a minute. Judge Sullivan hasn't accepted the Department of Justice drop of charges against General Flynn. And he's actually asking for outside sources to comment on said dropping of charges. How do you feel about that? Just completely, completely <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Judge Sullivan is a bit of a um, a wild card. He yeah. has he has in the past uh, excoriated General Flynn, excoriated his attorney. Interestingly, hasn't much excoriated the prosecutors who have been demonstrated to have lied openly to the judge, to have failed yeah. to provide required Brady material. And I, I wanted to, uh, if we have a little bit of time, I'm not going to try to bore everyone, but I thought it would be interesting for people to read or to hear what the government has admitted uh, in its motion to dismiss the charges, which by the way, are granted as a matter of course. In other words, at this point, the judge has no business doing anything other than saying, if the government lawyers are now telling me the Department of Justice have presented a motion that says, we do not have any evidence that would support a prosecution. We cannot actually make out a case. In fact, what they've said is there was no case to begin with against General Flynn. The judge has absolutely no business saying, huh, let me let me solicit some further opinion from left-wing think tanks and lawyers be, so I can slow walk this thing. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, I have a clip here I think is probably why Judge Sullivan is doing what he's doing. Let me let me play this for you. The news uh, over the last 24 hours I think has been somewhat downplayed about uh, the Justice Department dropping uh, charges against Michael Flynn and the fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find or uh, someone who's been charged with perjury uh, just getting off scot-free. Uh, that's the kind of stuff where you, you begin to uh, get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but uh, 
our basic understanding of, of rule of law uh, is 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 uh, is at risk. All right. Joining me right now, the reporter who broke this story, Michael Isakoff, chief investigative correspondent at Yahoo News. Hey, Michael, good to talk with you. Okay, first up, it was audio. Allegedly, this is the former president speaking to the Obama Alumni Association, right? A very wide ranging, pretty long conversation. First of all, how certain are you? How do you know? Where is the proof that this is a legit phone call? And it is indeed Barack Obama, whom we just heard speaking. That is indeed Barack Obama, who you just heard speaking. Uh, obviously, we confirmed the legitimacy of this tape. Uh, I didn't want to play the whole thing, but that was MSNBC. And it, before anybody writes to me and says the audio was bad, that was the recording from Obama's phone call. That wasn't us scratching the microphone. So I guess when they were recording the surreptitious call, they should not have been banging up against the headset the entire time. Uh that sounds totally like Barack Obama to me. I don't know why it's even in question that it was Barack Obama, yet MSNBC wants to make sure you it's only audio, so we can't verify that it was Barack Obama. Does that are you are you in question with those Barack Obama, Tony? Does that sound like him to you? The slow pauses, the oh major cadence. Everything everything sounds like Barack Obama, including the complete and utter inability to accurately state what the law is, to misrepresent that this is a case about perjury. No, Barack, uh, <laughs> it is not. And my favorite claim, which we'll talk about, uh, is that this is somehow unprecedented, meaning that someone who has been wrongly prosecuted due to demonstrated prosecutorial misconduct has never been exonerated by this type of motion. First of all, there is a specific rule of criminal procedure that allows the filing of exactly this type of motion. And secondly, I don't know if Barack is suffering from some kind of short-term memory loss, but his own attorney general, his wingman, right? Mm -hmm. His self-described wingman, Eric Holder, actually filed this exact type of motion relating to Ted Stevens, who was the wrongly prosecuted senator from, I believe he was a senator, from Alaska, Mm -hmm. who who was also the victim of grotesque prosecutorial lying, literally lying, failure to turn over exculpatory evidence. And the Obama administration, through Attorney General Eric Holder, filed this exact motion, which was uniformly and immediately granted. And yet Barack Obama says, oh, there, there is no, there's no precedent for this. Well, actually, there's one right from your own administration, constitutional yeah. law scholar. So well, I'm not constitutional sure. Constitutional law, like not yeah. yeah, but he's not it a trial like Barack lawyer. Barack is a little nervous. Well, and I think I just saw today that uh, the classified documents telling who released Michael Flynn's name are going to be released as well. Uh, could yeah. there be a BO sighting in that off that listing? Do you think? I'm sure there's going to be a Susan Rice. There's going to be a James Clapper. Could there be a BO? I don't know. If even if Barack Obama's name isn't on that list, I don't know that you can convince anybody with a fully functioning brain that thinks he didn't know what was going on. I don't think that's possible. I don't know of anybody who who is honest, intellectually honest, who doesn't think Barack Obama 
knew exactly what was going on with the FISA warrants. Because he had to he had to know. Yeah. I don't think there's any possibility he didn't or, know. Well, of course he right. knew. So anyway, let me just do something really quickly because I want people who haven't been following the Flynn case. One of the frustrating things about talking through these issues is that if you get any of your news from the mainstream media, uh, and, and in some respects, I include Fox, although Fox is the only network, which by the way, I don't really watch Fox, but they're the only network where you're going to hear anything uh, related to what was going on, uh, the nefarious conduct by the prosecutors. You won't hear any of that if you read the Washington Post or the New York Times or watch any of the major networks. But I want people to understand exactly how absurd this quote unquote investigation was from the beginning. And you don't have to take my word for it. These are the words in the filing of the Department of Justice under the new prosecutor who was assigned by uh, William Barr to look at this. And by the way, I should also point out, so all of this screeching now about William Barr being the cat's paw for Donald Trump, William Barr did not make this recommendation. Okay, now he agreed with it. There was another prosecutor, his name is Jensen, I forget what his first name is, it might be Jeff, who was assigned to look into how this case was handled. And he is the one that discovered the thousands of pages of documents that were never turned over to Flynn's attorneys. And he's the one that ultimately made the recommendation that this has to be dropped. So the Jerry Nadlers of the world are accusing William Barr of being uh, you know, a lick spittle for Donald Trump. They should also be accusing Mr. Jensen uh, of also being in on the conspiracy uh, who's an independent prosecutor who is assigned, a federal prosecutor assigned to look into this, along with all the other people that he has under him that are helping. But here's what I want people to understand. In fact, Chad, do you know what was the crime? What was the crime that General Flynn was charged with to which he ultimately pled guilty? Wasn't it basically lying to the FBI, but we can't actually prove that he lied to the FBI because the forms were changed? Well, okay, correct. So the these this is from their filing. Mr. Flynn entered a guilty plea to a single count, one count, of making a false statement to the FBI on January 24th of 2017. Okay, so that's the that charge. Perjury? Is that perjury? No, that's the point. Barack Obama seems not to understand the difference between perjury, which is testimony under oath, lying under oath. This was not a transcribed statement. This was not an in-court or under oath statement. This was literally an interview with two FBI agents who, and we'll talk about this, originally said, we don't think he lied. And then someone down the line, once the Mueller uh, crusade got cranked up, decided, no, you did. And so that that's it. A single count of lying to the FBI. Now, another thing that people need to understand the lie has to be material. Okay, now that's a sort of a legal term, but the idea here is if they ask General Flynn, what did you buy for groceries last Friday? And he says, um, I bought Captain Crunch and a pineapple when he actually bought steak dinner and some green beans. First of all, it's not clear whether that's a lie or whether he forgot, but setting that aside, that statement, even if false, is not material is not relevant to any investigation. So that can't be the basis for a charge, okay? Just to understand that. Now, here's what I want people to, to actually consider. 
It says in their filing that the government concluded that the interview itself with General Flynn, and remember the timing, on January 4th of 2017, the FBI had already concluded that there was literally no evidence supporting any charge against General Flynn under what they called Crossfire Razor, which was the sub-investigation under Crossfire Hurricane. So keep that date in mind. As of January 4, the FBI had concluded there is no evidence after four months of investigating this. Oh, and by the way, having a transcript of the call between Flynn and Russian Ambassador Kislyak, they knew exactly what had been said, okay? Because that was the basis. He's talking to the Russians. <laughs> they had decided nothing, no derogatory evidence. They hold it open. Peter Strzok says in the text that were also just turned over, this is fantastic. Our uh, incompetence, as he called it, for not closing it out, works to our benefit. And now the seventh floor, meaning Comey and McCabe, that's the top dogs, they want to hold this open for some unspecified reason. <laughs> so they hold it open and then they figure out, and we have the text messages about this, we're going to ambush interview Michael Flynn and we're going to do it. We're not going to, we're not going to disclose this to the White House, which is protocol. We're going to make sure that he doesn't have a lawyer present. We're going to do it in a way where he has no idea he's actually being investigated and we're going to do all of this after we have already determined there is no evidence that he has done a single thing. And we have the notes from Bill Priestap, who is high-ranking guy in the FBI, you know, essentially liaison with the CIA, who says, what is the goal? The goal is either to get him to lie, a perjury trap, even though it's not perjury, or to get him fired. Now, here's a question, Chad. Is the FBI in the business of getting incoming national security advisors fired from their jobs and or setting extortionist perjury traps. Is that part of what they're supposed to be doing? It doesn't sound like it. Uh, just an aside here, and I just learned this tonight, and I didn't know this before. Flynn worked in the Obama administration as the head of DIA, Defense Intelligence, uh, and was fired and apparently told Trump you can hire anybody you want, but don't hire Flynn. So Trump went out and hired Flynn. But and why was, by the way, why was Flynn fired? I do not know why he was fired. So you, do you know? Well, probably because from, he didn't like Obama. From what I from what I have read, he was fired because he was a very outspoken opponent of Ooh. Obama's Iran capitulation. Oh yeah. And that was one of his signature policy achievements. Gotcha. And, and he was also detested within the CIA because he was also a very outspoken critic of the abuses and the incompetence of our intelligence gathering agencies. And so folks like Brennan and Clapper also wanted to stick a shiv into him. So he was a target, but as the ultimate reason as Andy McCarthy has pointed out in a recent column, was that this is a very smart guy. He's a 33-year veteran, a three-star general, a warrior, but he also knew the ropes within the intelligence community very, very well. And if their overall goal, crossfire hurricane, 
to hamstring and destroy the Trump administration was going to go forward, they had to remove this guy because they would have had to, he would have known what was going on. They would have had to communicate with him. And there is no way that this gets off the ground with Michael Flynn in the way. So he has to be removed. So that sounds an awful lot like a conspiracy to me. Yeah. Or what's the word sort of collusion. Ooh, I don't like to use that word in mixed company, but go ahead. All right. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I simply want to read the basis for this investigation as set forth by the GOJ. And remember in this motion, what they've concluded is there was no investigatory basis for this. There was no predicate for this investigation. They looked for four months. They found nothing, but I want you to tell me if you think that there's something a little unusual. So here are the three reasons why. Oh, and remember what they are claiming about General Flynn. Again, 33, 35-year veteran of the military, a three-star general, a warrior, a guy that has impeccable record, right? A, A patriot. And they're claiming that this guy was a traitorous stooge in the employ of Vladimir Putin. Now, I suppose that's a possibility. But do you think, given his CV and his service, there might have been an initial level of skepticism about, is that really what we're claiming about this guy? This this seems like a profile of a guy who is going to turn traitor and infiltrate the U.S. government on behalf of his Russian paymasters. Is that what we think is going on? But... Does that sound credible on its face? Of course it doesn't sound credible, but when you recognize also that he was part of the Obama administration, it begs a question. If he was a traitor, why didn't you prosecute him then? And how did he get into this position as a national security advisor if he's got all this baggage hanging out there that nobody knew but the Obama administration? Really? Yeah. So listen to the... Again, these are the what they call the articulable facts, the factual basis for starting the investigation of General Flynn. There's three of them. Let me read the first one. And again, this is right in what the government has filed. Fact number one, which justifies our belief that General Flynn is a traitorous Russian agent. Ready for this? Mr. Flynn served as a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. Hmm. Isn't he the NSA? But that's that. Does that sound to you like a factual basis to conclude someone is working for the right? Let me read it again. Flynn Flynn is in Trump's foreign policy. He's a foreign policy advisor to Trump. Full stop. That that sounds like that would be on your resume, not a charge. Does it not? I served as a foreign policy advisor. This is like me saying. I want to investigate every person in Barack Obama's cabinet because they are engaged as foreign policy advisors to the president. I'll make it simpler. I want to investigate everybody in Barack Obama's cabinet because they were in Barack Obama's cabinet. Right. The point is, if that's if that is supposed to mean anything, suggesting that this guy's a Russian stooge, it's absurd on its face. It's literally sure. you work for Donald Trump. Therefore, you mu- I mean, again, why would that have been accepted by anyone who is seriously interested in pursuing a legitimate investigation? That should have been laughed at. How'd they get through the grand jury with that? 
Seriously. Well, remember, I know it's a they did, ham sandwich, but still. Remember, this isn't about the grand jury at this point. This is just about starting the investigation, right? What's the reason? You go to your boss and you say, you go to Comey, right? Mm -hmm. You're the underling and say, hey, we need to investigate this Flynn guy. Oh, what do you got? Let me tell you. First, he works for the Trump campaign. Good one. <laughs> that sounds bad. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Here's, here's the second reason. Publicly documented connection to Russian entities. What does that mean? They met at a cocktail party. Uh, I, he he talked to the Russian ambassador because that was his job. Ex well, exactly. So how many people? He has uh, something in his 401k that is funded by a Russian. Again, absurd on its face as a justification for this guy might be a Russian stooge that we need to investigate. That's number two. Okay. Yep. Here's the third one. This is the kicker. This is the one that really, this makes it legitimate. He had traveled to Russia <gasps> in December of 2015. <gasps> <laughs> Why? Well, it doesn't matter, Chad. He was in Russia. But my brother was in Russia three times in 2009. Well, they should be investigating your brother. That's very well, suspicious. It seems like it's very suspicious. Bernie Sanders honeymooned in the former yeah. Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah, that, might, that. that might justify immediate firing squad. I don't know. I mean, no, it no, just run as a Democrat. He's okay. So literally those three things. Okay. He works for Trump. He's connected to Russian entities, whatever that nebulousness means. And he had once traveled to Russia. That is the basis for them opening an investigation into a three-star general to accuse him of being a Russian agent. Hmm. Does that That's sound, does that sound above uh, board to you? No, it sounds like they, they really couldn't come up with anything. So they wrote three things down. The first thing things came to their mind and somebody thought it was good. Wait a minute. This was Comey's FBI, right? Oh, okay. Yes. That makes sense. Now it makes sense. Yep. Got it. And totally one, of the, one of the other things that has come out, and we talked about this last week, which entirely justifies them dropping this farce and joke and travesty of an investigation. We talked about the 302s, which yep. are the notes of the FBI agents who interviewed Flynn. And remember, we also talked about this lunacy where the FBI does not actually have transcripts where you can say, this is what he actually said. You're going by the memory and whatever internal biases this FBI agent has. But here's the best part. Pietka, who's the one FBI agent who interviews him, they've never actually received his 302. It's <laughs> never been turned over. Now, what they do know from other documents is he said, I don't think he was, I don't think he lied. He said this and Strzok said this initially before they closed the investigation. Later, what Sidney Powell has pried loose, they find out because there's text messages between Strzok and his mistress, Miss Page. They, Strzok starts editing the 302. Okay, changing the substance of it. Even better, he does his edits 
And he says something along the lines of, I don't want to essentially transform this completely so that it's not even recognizable. He then sends it to Lisa Page, who's not even involved in the investigation and who didn't sit in on the interview for her to do additional editing. Well, she had to proofread it. He's probably a bad speller. Right, exactly. And on the basis of this, they then have a charge that this guy somehow violates the Logan Act. We talked about that, which has never been used to prosecute anyone. This idea that as a private individual, you're not allowed to engage in activities that would undermine U.S. foreign policy. This guy was... John Kerry did that with the Mullahs. Openly. And and Nancy Pelosi did it with Syria. I'm confused. Yeah, but and Michael Flynn is not exactly running a food truck in the Bronx. He's the mm. incoming national security advisor. So couldn't just wait a few days. Kind, and then he was going to be the national security advisor. He didn't right. have to do it in advance, right? Right. And then what he did do was say nothing other than to Kislyak. It would probably be good if you guys don't escalate in response to the Obama administration's sanctions. That sounds pretty normal to me. So the bottom line on all of this is just as with the Russian collusion farce, and this is part and parcel of all of that, is that from the very top level, they knew this was bogus from the beginning. They were closing it out. They decided we're going to get this guy by hook or by crook whatever it takes, if we need to lie, if we need to hide Brady material, if we need to manufacture a lie, which they did, and then they extorted him into pleading guilty by threatening his son. And now these people, because they are utterly shameless and despicable, are saying, including Barack Obama, the rule of law is threatened. These people couldn't give a you-know-what about the rule of law. So I have a question for you. I take myself back to December, January, and February, recent months. Uh, and I heard about the Ukraine investigation and about the transcript of a call that Barack Obama, Barack Obama sorry, Donald Trump had with the president of Ukraine. I was told that the transcript that the NSA put out wasn't an exact wording. It was the memory of the NSA officer who wrote it up. They weren't in the room, so it wasn't completely accurate. But I'm supposed to believe that the memory of a failed FBI agent who had an axe to grind and showed he had an axe to grind numerous times in numerous texts with his lover, uh, but his memory's fine. And his trans, you know, his dictation of what he remembers, even though it was altered, is okay. Yeah, I, I, I guess I feel like it. it if it's not okay in one situation, it can't be okay in the other situation. But yet it seems to be when it's Donald Trump, then it's okay to do whatever you need to do to destroy the orange Cheeto man. Is yes. that my, that you, take under, on this? you understand the situation correctly okay. need to okay. embrace the utility of double standards. They come in. Ah. Handy. Hypocr- hypocrisy and double standards, but I didn't have double standards. I wouldn't have any standards at all. Is that what the, the old phrase? Yes. And these are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. (laughs) I haven't heard that in a while, but I I agree with that. Uh, So I guess it comes down to why is Sullivan being a weenie here and not just dismissing charges? Because I kind of figured if you drop the charges, there's no case for him to rule on. 
Is there? Hey, well, give up. We we concede. We give up. We got nothing. We're walking out the door. Why is there still something for him to rule on? He still can. The judge still has the ability to reject any motion that is presented to the court. Okay. So okay. it's not that he does not have the authority to rule on this, but in this context, when the government is saying explicitly, we lack evidence to substantiate even the beginning, the justification for this investigation alone. Moreover, remember, Chad, they would have to prove this case if you're a prosecutor beyond a reasonable doubt against Michael guilty. Flynn. But he pled guilty. Oh, sure. He pled There's guilty. Man, but he's, but he he's yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, and that's all they care about. But can you imagine trying to put this case on with this kind of evidence now that would be presented to a jury, including the, the side deal relating to the threat to prosecute his son to well, that's what the reason he guilty, isn't it? I mean, it, of course it is. People, you can hear people and, and I know some of these people, you know, some of these people when they hear, well, he pled guilty. If he wasn't guilty, he wouldn't have pled guilty. He's bankrupt. They threatened to prosecute his son, whether we were stuck or not. They threatened to prosecute his son. That to me says, okay, I really didn't have a free range of choices here. I was coerced into a decision that they wanted. Now, that's how prosecutions usually work. They kind of get you on something so they can get you on something else, maybe. But it really feels like he didn't choose to plead guilty. If he had had unlimited funds and he hadn't threatened his son, would he have gone to trial and would they have had to prove their case? Yes. And we might've heard more about this and gotten more information, but it doesn't, I don't assume somebody's guilty in these, in these types of situations just because they play guilty. Although you could, if they don't stand up and change it. I, I can't believe this is still going on. No, it's, it's amazing. And I was actually talking to an attorney friend of mine and, and neither of us do criminal law, but we were, we were kind of joking about the fact that, here you have a federal judge who still seems more upset with Flynn and Flynn's lawyer than the attorneys who have been in front of him. Remember, Van Grack, who was lead counsel, he's withdrawn. And not only has he withdrawn from this case, he's withdrawn from all of his pending cases that he's handling. That's interesting in and of itself. <laughs> but you now have an admission by the Department of Justice, by the attorney who is now filing this saying, there was no predicate for this investigation to begin with. None. Any judge confronted with that motion, number one, should be furious with the prosecutors who have come before him and repeatedly misled the court, have not turned over Brady material. What, what does the judge make of the fact that they have just turned over thousands of pages that were only pried loose by an independent prosecutor who came in and went through the files. Yeah. That If that was either me or another lawyer just in a civil case in front of the court, we would be sanctioned by the court. We would likely be referred to the disciplinary board. I mean, it would be major bad news. And this is not, and we don't handle, okay, criminal matters where people's lives are, you know, you're going to go to jail, right? We're handling stuff that deals with money. I mean, the ethic, the ethical requirements are still the same, but nevertheless, this is serious stuff. And it seems as if Flynn 
is utterly unwilling and unconcerned about the misconduct that has gone on in his courtroom and in filings Sullivan, to him. I mean, I'm sorry, Sullivan. I, I, it's uh, the only thing that I can chalk this up to is he's number one already predisposed to not want to let this happen, and number two, you've got all of this political pressure from illuminaries like Barack Obama, right? Who, by the way, Isakov, we've if that name does not ring a bell, it should. This is the same guy. If you remember us talking about this who published the first article about the fantasy allegations in the Steele dossier. And what you remember, we got a chuckle out of it because the FBI in its FISA applications cited as additional corroboration, the, uh, the Isakoff article citing back to the Steele dossier, but that's not additional corroboration. It's the same stuff. So this is a this is their usual conduit to get this kind of stuff into the media bloodstream. And so they've now used him to uh, put Barack Obama's deep thoughts about perjury and the rule of uh -huh. law into the 24-hour news cycle. I did find that interesting. I, I didn't want to point that out, but I'm glad you did. That this is he's no friend of the uh, Republican establishment or of Donald Trump. So how does a how does a transcript or at least a voice recording leak of a private call to a Democratic operative in the media if you don't want it to? And then for MSNBC to say, is that really him? Oh, who who didn't want it to? Yeah, exactly. Obama wanted it out there. I think Obama's sending a message to Sullivan. Hey, you need to uh, squash this. This this can't happen. Because if he starts talking and things start getting unraveled, uh, oh, uh oh, I'm going to be in trouble and we can't have that. I, I, there is more to this that I, I hope it comes out because I think the light worker. Well, actually, I don't light think worker. I don't think anything else about the Flynn matter needs to come out. Everyone knows exactly what went on here. Well, why is anybody being prosecuted? Why was Flynn being prosecuted? Well, there's a question. Okay, why was Flynn? We know why Flynn was well, being prosecuted. Right. But why why wasn't James Clapper? Why wasn't Susan Rice? Why wasn't Barack Obama at least investigated for his role in this whole thing? Why wasn't Hillary Clinton for putting the Steele dossier together under her well, watch? Again, those, many of those are rhetorical questions, but they are. those investigations, presumably, the criminal matters are ongoing now under the auspices of John Durham. And we can only hope that some of these characters face a reckoning. Um, you mentioned two other things. I think also one of the reasons that Obama is now clearly actively engaged in this is because they're starting to become very concerned about what is being released. You alluded to this. Oh, yeah. There's two other things. All of the testimony that was given to Adam Schiff's House Intelligence Committee, okay, on... Yep on the Russian collusion narrative, which he has prevented. He has locked them in an iron box. And of course you have to ask yourself, why would Adam Schiff not want all of this, this incredibly damning information about Donald Trump to come to light? Because remember, Adam Schiff has gone on national television and repeatedly assured America, not only that he knew in his gut that Donald Trump was a very bad man who wears Russian hats to bed and was colluding with Vladimir Putin, but that, 
but that he, because of his top secret access, had actually viewed direct evidence of Donald Trump's evil, collusive ways, right? He had said this repeatedly. And now what we already, we knew this already from the Nunes memo, which was vindicated by Horowitz's IG report. Mm -hmm. But now all of these people that were interviewed under oath testified they knew nothing like Sergeant Schultz. We know nothing about Donald Trump and collusion. Every one of them, Brennan, Clapper, all of these other administration hacks. But they would then immediately, after finishing under oath saying, we got nothing, go on CNN and MSNBC and continue to fan the, oh yes, walls are closing in, noose is tightening. We've seen it. It's very, very bad. They're true patriots. That's why they don't want it released. That's why Adam Schiff does not want this out there because he's a true patriot who understands if this gets out, this could be harmful to the country. I am staying above the fray. I am blameless in this. I saw it. I don't want anybody else to get in trouble, so I'm not going to release it. Now, who do you, I want you to put a wager on the Vegas big board. Um, Who is going to be the first intrepid member of our highly honest, high integrity journalist class who is going to ask Adam Schiff, who loves him some limelight, who's going to ask Adam Schiff the next time that he is pontificating behind a podium. Um, excuse me, Mr. Schiff. Um, I hate to ask you this cause you know, we're all on the same team, but you had repeatedly made statements that you had direct evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Russia to undermine the election and maybe perhaps allow an alien horde to steal earth's water supply. And We've now reviewed all of the 53 transcripts and nobody said that ever. Could you maybe explain whether you have other secret information that allowed you to make those statements or were you just lying? Who's going to be the first member of our esteemed news media to ask that question? So I got 50 bucks on Jim Acosta. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think what you meant, what you misheard Schiff, he said, I have direct TV, not right. direct knowledge, two different things. Uh, I get the NFL football package. That's why I have direct TV. Uh, NFL red zone is my jam. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything more than what you've heard. I'm not sure why you think I do. And I think you're a liar, sir, for asking me that question. That's right. No, 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 not, not a liar. You clearly are also working for Russia. Well, I've heard of Russia and I can spell it. So therefore I'm probably connected to it in some way, shape or form. I don't, I don't know that any journalist and I use that in strong air quotes will ask any such question. They they've never asked strong questions of any Democrat, uh, Ever that I can think of. Well, one of the and one of the classics of the genre, uh, Andrew McCabe, remember, second in command to James Comey, fired. Uh, yes. He goes on, I think, CNN, you know, and he has the audacity. But again, I shouldn't call it audacity because these people have been trained to know they can say anything. They can yeah. they can 
They can sort of vomit out any lie that they want. There will never be any consequences. And they're among friends, so they'll never be asked about it. But McCabe, you know, goes on this rant about the rule of law. Now, what do you think is perhaps relevant about Andrew McCabe in terms of prosecuting General Flynn for a false statement to the FBI? Can you remember, Chad? Did he not lie to the investigators <laughs> in his own team? Oh, that was uh, me. Right. Ding, ding, yeah. ding. Yes, you win the family vacation package to Guam. So <laughs> here's the guy, here's the guy who's second in command, who has admitted to lying to the FBI, his own employees who were investigating who the person was that had leaked information about the Clinton investigation. McCabe repeatedly lied to them. Don't worry about it. But meanwhile, they've ruined a decorated soldier's life, forced him into bankruptcy, sold his home, right? Who knows the stress? Apparently his legal fees are over $3 million. Wow. You were talking originally about this concept of double standards and hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, um, it's become so glaring that I will say this. I'm to the point, and this is probably bad how cynical I am about this, and I think most Americans have given up on any of these people. You go down the line, this rogues gallery of Comey and McCabe and Clapper and Brennan and Yates, they're all the whole crew, Strzok, Page, the rest of them, that any of these people are going to ever face any meaningful accounting, any oh. consequences of significance for what they have done. And make no mistake what has become clear, and this was clear already, is that they basically, you know, people are like, don't be absurd, Tony. Don't use words like coup, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't care what you want to call it, but these people true. were engaged in an operation to essentially destroy, and if not, if they couldn't destroy it to ensure that Hillary Clinton was going to be president, to then undermine, ruin, hamstring, oppose a sitting president in his administration using whatever lever of power they could, using the full force of their agencies, abusing the law, right? Abusing their power. And none of them so far, there's nothing has been done to any of them. Now, again, the only hope about this right now is that Durham, who is apparently working behind the scenes and there are multiple prosecutors involved and there are criminal investigations ongoing, he seems to be the last chance for this. But if all of these people skate, I don't know what the average American is supposed to think about that other than all the invocations of the rule of law are utterly meaningless right now in the present time in this country. Well, they are meaningless. And that's the problem because these people are shown to be, how would I put this? They, they, the laws don't apply to them. They should, but they don't. And my concern is, and that was one of the other topics tonight. I, I truly believe that the Democrats have a legitimate shot at taking the Senate. I don't think the Republicans have a shot at taking the house back. And I think this pandemic has eroded a lot of what Donald Trump was running on. Oh, I think now, you're right. I think Biden is a joke of a candidate. I think the fact that uh, Obama wouldn't even endorse him until he was the only one left 
should tell you he's a joke of a candidate because he, he was his vice president. And he still couldn't endorse him. That tells you this guy's not really all that. You just have to listen to him for five seconds. You know that. But Joe Biden could become president. You've got the House. They're going to. I think there's going to be prosecutions of the Trump team. I think they've oh, they have right. all the levers of power. And at that point, all all gloves are off. I mean, the only reason Trump wasn't impeached, not rightly so, but wasn't impeached, was because the Senate was controlled by the Republicans. Well, it wasn't removed. He sorry, you're right. He was impeached. He was not removed. He would have been removed had the, had the Democrats controlled the Senate. No question in my mind. So this is a very tenuous situation we find ourselves in. Well, when you they, say that had they controlled the Senate, you mean that they would have had to have a supermajority because there's no way that there anyone is removing them, even if they have a you know a fifty-two. Right, they would have had sixty-seven senators right. to do that. Uh, but you still could have had a Mitt Romney who goes off the reservation and just stands up for his beliefs, whatever that means. I I I I fear for what's coming because I don't think these people are going to get prosecuted i i think trump is in trouble and i do not believe he has a legitimate path to victory at this point and i think the country oh, i wouldn't be i wouldn't go that far when you say well, he doesn't I, have a legitimate path to victory i mean uh, look i i don't think anybody can say with any confidence what's going to happen uh in november is are the are the facts on the ground right now historically Horrible. Not good for an incumbent yeah. president. Sure. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that his favorability ratings and polling, his uh, you know, approval ratings, they're they're pretty much unchanging. I mean, I know they dip here and there. There's obviously volatility. I'm not convinced. I certainly don't believe there's no legitimate path to victory. Uh, because as you said, Joe Biden is basically an embalmed person who they're just <laughs> trying to desperately keep off of camera. Um, so they're, they've got some problems as well on the democratic side. I will say that it is looking more difficult for Trump and it, again, though, it all comes down to the same states that it did before. Now that is going to be an interesting dynamic relating to, for instance, we live in Pennsylvania. Yep. We have a very liberal governor who is becoming increasing. Oh. Yes, who's becoming increasingly, oh, by the way, a lame duck governor who is not up for re-election, so he doesn't care. But it's an interesting it's an interesting political question because he's one of the people has has been most aggressive in sort of the lockdowns, along with Newsom and along with Cuomo, right? He's he's gone along with this uh as you know as severe as possible playbook. Well, there's been a lot of people that are becoming increasingly agitated. And he just issued, I think, whatever, some declaration because there have been certain counties in Pennsylvania who have now, de- they have now declared our free our freedom from these edicts. <laughs> and what and we'll talk some more. I'll let you go. But what Wolf has basically then threatened them, he's doubled down and said, you do this and I'm going to somehow cut off your aid. I'm not now again, I need to look into this more. My initial reaction to that is if these are federally earmarked dollars, I don't think a state governor can constitutionally preclude those from going to somebody if the state is only acting basically as an administrative gatekeeper. But I haven't looked into that. But here's the point, the political point. So Tom Wolf, individual, does not care about his political fortunes. However, 
I can guarantee you there are people high up in the National Democratic Party who are taking a very close look at Pennsylvania as a key swing state and who may be telling Tom Wolf very soon, these are very bad optics for us, particularly in the middle of the state with these independent voters. And because your state is so crucial in terms of electoral votes, you are not going to be, we are not going to allow you to be perceived as one of these radical blue state governors who is sticking it to the main street, you know, to these people. So I think there's going to be a very interesting behind the scenes discussion about this tug of war and whether or not that he's going to relent on this. And if he does, I can almost guarantee you it's because other people, including Barack Obama and other kind of leading lights of the party have told him, we don't need you taking these positions right now in the run-up to an election in a swing state that is crucial to removing the bad orange man. What do you think about that? Well, I think I go on the other side of this. I think the longer they keep the state closed or states, the more they can push for their agenda, i.e. mail-in ballots that can be changed. Uh, I think the threats, yeah, just using Governor Wolf, and you could apply this to any any state or any democratically controlled state. This is a how do I put this? I, the threats he put out, he called people cowards or cowardly because their behavior and behavior is both selfish and unsafe for going against his edicts. He said they will not be eligible for federal stimulus discretionary funds that the state receives. I'm not sure how he does that. He said, this is interesting. Businesses and counties that do not abide by the law, again, executive order, not law, will no longer be eligible for business liability insurance and the protections it provides. How does that work exactly? Because uh, last time we checked, he wasn't providing the insurance. So how does he remove that coverage when they are he's not paying for it and the state isn't providing it? He said uh, Department of Health would revoke uh, their sanction on businesses, especially restaurants. He said they would lose their liquor licenses and county residents receiving unemployment compensation will be able to continue to receive benefits. Even if their employer reopens now, <laughs> interesting because if your employer reopens and they bring your job back up and you refuse to go, that's an automatic. Nope. Can't get paid. You refused work. So he's basically a dictator in the yeah. state of Pennsylvania. That's now, right. I read something tonight, which you may or may not know about. So you live in the capital area of Pennsylvania. All the state, all the counties in Pennsylvania are either red or yellow. Okay. Yellow. The only difference between yellow and red is simply that you can have 25 people in a gathering instead of 10. There's no effective difference between the two as far as what you can do, where you can go and what you can participate in. So, no one can get their hair cut. No salon can open. Except there is a salon in Harrisburg that got an exemption to open. Nobody, now, life-sustaining services. I might feel like getting my hair cut is life-sustaining, but it isn't actually life-sustaining. So how did this salon in Harrisburg get an exemption to open? Now, the guy hasn't opened it yet. He's had it for two weeks, he says. But he hasn't opened yet. How does that happen? 
What's going on here behind the scenes? Is Wolf somehow connected or somebody he likes? Is, is Dr. Levine connected to the salon? I don't know. But it's very interesting that the rules don't seem to apply equally. And how to get an exemption doesn't seem to apply equally. And we can't be told when you can go to green, which is full reopening. There's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There was threat, and I don't know if it'll actually go through, that the National Guard might be called out to enforce his law. Again, law is an executive See, that, order. But that's, that's what gets to my point, which is I don't think that – one of the other points we should make is one of our good friends who comments frequently about these sorts of issues and frequently waxes rhapsodic about speaking truth to power. I wonder <laughs> what he makes of Sun King Wolf basically yeah. decreeing, number one, I am now the insurance – contract czar yeah who i can nullify not even nullify existing contracts literally declare you will not be able to obtain insurance hmm yeah that doesn't sound kosher to me and then also declaring i am going to unilaterally rewrite pennsylvania unemployment law <laughs> with my name a state where that doesn't apply name a state where you can collect unemployment and it's a state-run program don't don't kid yourself. It's not a federal program. State-run program. I don't know of a single state in the country who says, if your employer opens and offers you a job and you refuse, we'll just keep paying you. Because that's how it works, right? We just keep paying you not to work. Right. So ask anyone who uh, has major agita, agita <laughs> about Donald Trump, Kaiser, right? Unfettered presidential overreach, tyrant, strongman, and their concerns about reining in chief executives about what they think about Governor Wolf's most recent royal decrees. Now, if they say that they think they're perfectly fine, then you really shouldn't listen to that person ever again when they wail and rend their garments about uh, the rule of law being violated. Because again, they don't care about the rule of law. They just care about political power and the fact that their team is the one that's wielding it. Fair enough. There's a whole bunch of hypocrites across the fruited plains who think that way about these things. But anybody who has any intellectual honesty should look at what Governor Wolf has just declared and said, hey, listen, I'm all for the lockdowns, right? Because I'm a person of quasi-science, and I have a poster of Anthony Fauci in my bedroom. But nevertheless, when it comes to these sort of edicts, he does not have the ability to do that. And any person, regardless of political affiliation, should oppose that. Because as we always say, when the next guy is there who you don't like, who you think just might be wearing a very dainty Hitler mustache, you're not going to like the rules of the game anymore. But no. nobody seems to care about that. Well, you, you brought up our, our uh, acquaintance. You can call me your friend. I'll call him an acquaintance. Uh, he put out a Washington Post poll today, which made me laugh. I, I really, I just chuckle every time I see this, this gentleman post Whatever fits his agenda, that's what he posts. He doesn't post anything else that, that might contradict his agenda. Well, by the way, he's entitled to do that. Certainly. It's his his blog, his post. He can this do it. This isn't like the uh, equal time kind of deal. No, he can do whatever no. he wants. This isn't crossfire. So 
43, this according to the Washington Post, 43% of Americans approve of how Trump is handling the coronavirus, 56 disapprove, and apparently 1% can't add or figure it out. 71% of Americans approve of how their state governor is handling the coronavirus. Now, all but Ohio that he cites are Democratic states. 86% of Ohio residents have a Republican governor and they approve. New York, 81%. Does anybody with, again, with a functioning cerebrum, think that Andrew Cuomo has done a bang-up job handling this whole crisis? Because if you do, I'd like to hear it. Because I don't understand what you're thinking. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Chad. I have been assured that Andrew Cuomo has been the embodiment of calm, Mm -hmm. statesmanship, responsible, nimble leadership, really presidential in how he's handled this. Now, the facts facts on the ground would seem to contradict that theory. And we haven't even talked about this, I think, on any of our podcasts. The the rather inconvenient state edict where they forced nursing homes. I don't know if anyone's heard this. Yeah. They forced nursing homes, okay, the most high-risk environments in the country, to take people who were already infected with the coronavirus. They could not turn them away. And there were the people running these nursing homes were begging the regulators saying, okay, we don't want these people here. You have other options, including right. The, the ship that Trump sent, which they claimed he was never going to send. And then the beds went basically unused and it left. In other words, there were multiple other avenues where they could have taken these people, but the state of New York under the tremendous leadership of Andrew Cuomo forced people infected with this virus into nursing homes, which Mm -hmm. escalated the death toll by literally escalated the death toll. I'm not speaking about he has blood on his hands from that tweet that he just sent. No, no. (laughs) Your policy directly exposed the most vulnerable people to being infected and some of them were, and many of them died. Yep. Now, why have we not read a single article from our friend or from anyone in the media, sort of, again, at one of Andrew Cuomo's daily briefings where he looks magisterial and in control of everything, <laughs> nothing to see here. Why yep. can't one of our intrepid reporters, you know, those hard-hitting New York media types say, gee, Andrew, do you think that you might have blood on your hands because you forced this insane requirement on nursing homes? He is now apparently finally admitted, yeah, that might have been a bad idea. We're going to rethink that. Has anyone in the national media reported on this in any meaningful way criticizing that policy, which is literally nope. insane? Nope. Nope. That, that doesn't uh, make any sense. To, nothing to see here. Notable, Ralph Northam of Virginia. Seventy-eight percent of Virginia residents approve of his handling. Governor Governor Blackface. Governor Blackface. Uh, Pennsylvania. Seventy-two percent of Pennsylvania residents. Now, I think it's interesting. They say residents. They don't say voters. They don't even say likely voters. They say residents. So 
the comparison then comes down to what would would they get in their last election, governor's election? And most of them are polling higher. Again, not an actual vote, just a poll of a small subset. I do not believe that 72% of Pennsylvanian residents approve of Governor Wolf's handling of the coronavirus situation. I I do not believe that for a second. Now, I can't speak to any other state, but there is no possible way that 72% of people approve what he's done. Not even. If you, I don't know when this poll was taken. That's the, the part I'm unclear on. Now, here's I, the interesting question. What yeah. I would love to do is take the people, particularly at the, the federal, you know, the, the national poll where people are asked, do you approve of Trump? April 27th and, to May 4th. That's when this right. was taken. But what I would like to do is take a representative sampling of those people, the ones that say we disapprove. Okay. Put them in a room with you know, Frank Luntz, right? One of these, one of these pollster guys yeah. and say, you're, you're the group that says you disapprove. of Yes, yes. We strongly disapprove. It's been terrible. It's been awful. It's been a disaster. Okay. Let's go around the room. What are the specific things that Donald Trump has done that you disapprove of? You, ma'am, you go first. Well, yep. do, you think, do you think they could come up with a single concrete example? We've talked about this. And again, I don't mind if you think that Donald Trump is the worst thing since Lebanon Bologna. I don't like Lebanon Bologna. Um, that's fine. You're free to you're free to be disgusted by Donald Trump at multiple levels. What I want to know is you you're making a critique that says he has botched in the worst way a pandemic. What specific acts or omissions, failures to act bother you the most? Go ahead. The floor is yours. Nailed now it. What the, the what you will probably hear is it took him too long to respond to the virus. Okay, fair enough. Except everyone else was downplaying, but that's fine. That that's at least a legitimate. It's legitimate in isolation. But anything specific, one of the things that people forget, and this has been repeated by Fauci himself, there has not been a single time that Trump has not taken the advice of his medical advisors. Not Fauci has been asked this repeatedly, and he has said, not one time have I recommended something to the president where he has said, no, I'm going to consult my Nazi playbook, and we're going to go in the other direction. Sure. Hasn't happened. That's so I, I would love to hear – and the other thing that strikes me about this citing these polls, right? Look at these people that disapprove. My other question to these people that are citing this would be, do you think that – the 24-7 monomania yeah. drumbeat of the national media claiming that Donald Trump is killing people. and is Do you think that would have any effect on how people view his performance? Or is this all based on an independent, neutral, unmanipulated opinion of what has actually gone on? Well, I think it would only impact their decision if they had nothing else to do and nowhere else to go and are watching TV 24 seven, but it, outside of that, I don't see any way it would have any impact whatsoever. So I'm going to guess. No. What do you think? Yeah. Am I wrong. Yeah. I, so I give you some stats on this, this poll that they're citing. How many, you, you know, how many people they polled now they did all 50 States. How many people you think they polled? What total in all 50 total. States? No, to- yeah. Between all the people they spoke with, how many do you think they actually spoke?
spoke to? 500. Well, close enough. Uh, 8,086. That is 0.0024% of the population. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little math down on here because if you know anything about percentages and statistics, it doesn't take much to get a large number when you have a small group that you're comparing it to. So 72% of a hundred, it's not real representative of a state with 13, 15 million people. So, well, what you, okay, let me push back. People. Here's what someone is going to say in yeah. response to that, which is, if you understood anything about polling methodology, Chad, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter that what the sample size is, because if you do it correctly, you can extrapolate from a very small sample mm-hmm. to much larger groups. That's what polling is. We don't need to poll a million people. We can poll a uh-huh. hundred people as long as our methodology encompasses all the various demographics and ideological positions on the spectrum, it is just as mathematically sound as a larger number. And you Except say what? 2016 happened. So obviously you're full of crap. Uh, my, my point is, how, how are most polls done? Does anybody know? I, I do know, but I mean, for the, for the cheap seats. They most, call of them are, most of them are robocalls. They're, they're, they're not robocalls. There's, either, there's either a message or there's a live person calling up and saying, will, you, will you answer these questions? And, and, and so you understand this. Most of them are going to a landline. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. A lot of less people have landlines now. So you're getting a small selected group. You're self-selecting a group of people. Then... You're also selecting people who actually answer the phone for a number they don't recognize. Now, I don't know about the people you associate with, Tony, but most of the people, when they don't recognize the number, they don't pick it up. So you've now self-selected even further to people who pick up phone numbers of people they don't know and then take the time to answer. So is this a representative sample of the United States? Not even close. I don't care what your methodology is. Right. It's garbage. Well, this the other garbage. The other thing that I, that I tend, to, first of all, I don't really put put much stock in polls, but number two, it matters almost entirely how the questions are worded, and and in particular, the level of generality at which the questions are asked. What do I mean by that? You can ask someone this very general question: Do you approve of Governor Wolf's handling of the pandemic? Now, I don't know what they're going to say, but that really doesn't give them any specifics. But if, So let's assume that it's accurate, 72%, right, of all Pennsylvanians. If you ask a much more narrow question such as, let's see, do you support Governor Wolf's policies which have caused, I'm going to throw out a number, 10,000 small businesses to go bankrupt? I can guarantee you, okay, whatever the actual numbers are there from the lockdown, right, it's bad. I can guarantee you you're going to get a different answer because you have now provided very specific information that is doesn't sound very good. Here's another example of this. In the abortion debate, when they do polling on abortion, right? Do you favor a woman's right to choose? And you'll get whatever percentage it is. But if you ask those same people that say yes, a more specific question along the lines of, do you favor a woman a woman's ability to terminate a nine-month pregnancy, 
you're going to get answers that are incredibly negative. In fact, we have we actually have data on this, right? So it matters how you ask these questions. And the more general level you ask them at, you're going to get skewed results. If you ask particular policy-driven questions which reflect real events on the ground, particularly if those events are not good, or particularly if they require, let's say with taxation, harm to that person's wallet, you're going to get a very different polling result. That's one of the reasons I don't put stock in these kind of polls. Well, I want to read one, one of the a couple of the questions here. So thinking about your state's government restrictions on businesses, business activity because of the coronavirus outbreak, do you think your state governor is A, lifting restrictions too quickly, B, handling this about right, or not lifting restrictions quickly enough? Okay. Which comes closest to your view? The U.S. should keep trying to slow the spread of the coronavirus, even if that means keeping many businesses closed. Or the U.S. should open up businesses and get the economy going again, even if that means more people will get the coronavirus. Now, isn't that a leading question? Of course, to me, it, is. That it is. Of course it is. You're like, well, I don't want people to get sick. So, yeah, I don't think we should do that. Exactly. It, it, it begs the question. It begs the question and assumes that if any of if that policy is adopted, more people will get sick. That may yep. be true. It may not be true. The other thing is with those kind of questions, particularly as it relates to this issue, it is crucially important where those people reside. To your yep. earlier point, if you're polling a whole bunch of people in Philadelphia and asking those questions, you're going to get a, a completely diametrically opposed response as to yep. anyone that you're polling in counties in central Pennsylvania. Because yes. they're going to be stridently opposed to these lockdowns. So if you have a, if the percentage of your sample is from the urban sort of blue safe harbor of Philadelphia, where by the way, are there a lot of small business owners in Philadelphia you think that would be polled no. on this? I don't think no. so. So no. that's why those kind of answers, unless you drill down to where are these people and what is their circumstance are completely meaningless. I'll just read this last one. Would you describe the coronavirus outbreak as a, a serious source of stress in your life? Source of stress, but not serious or not a source, not a source of stress. And they compared all people to those who'd been laid off. Not surprisingly, the people who'd been laid off predominantly thought it was at least some sort of stress. There were people who were laid off who did not think it was a source of stress. Those are the people collecting more on unemployment than they were getting in their jobs. That's this is polls can be skewed to say what you want, just like other statistics. I, it gets it gets silly when we get to it. Well, the other thing I would love to do, yeah. I would love to put uh, like control questions in for those kind of questions and ask those same people, is it you know is it a serious source of stress in your life that it has now been discovered that Donald Trump drinks the chilled tears of children? And, and, and then when you get the same people that say that 99%, this is a very serious source of stress, then yeah. we know that we, we basically discount anything that they say because sure. they don't even know what's going on. It's like the lie detector test. What's your name? And you can't say it. So, oh, okay. This right. guy's already lied to me. So watch that. We'll see what happens. Uh, before we leave, we were supposed to come up with some uh, alternative sports that we might be interested in. Uh, you talked about championship marble shooting, I believe. No, 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 no. I think that, that is, was you. That is that fake was. news. That no, is, a, no, that that is that slander. I did watch some of the cornhole championships uh, over the weekend on ESPN. 
Uh, it feels like the old days of ESPN where you're literally getting anything that they could put on to, uh, I, I did like the steel lumberjack tour. That, the steel lumberjack tour, I don't think has been on for a while. If it is, no, I don't know where awesome. to find it. Probably a re- repeat. But yeah. that was truly uh, a must watch. Yeah. And, and I like you, the world's strongest man too. Oh, the world's strongest man is, who, by the way, who is your, I was into that big time yeah. uh, late at night. They used to play it late at night when I was younger because uh, yep. it wasn't exactly prime time viewing. Do you have a favorite world's strongest man? Magnus for Magnuson. That is yeah. correct. That's that's who that's, else could it be? <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's been a lot of Magnuses. There's there's a lot of different yeah. Magnuses. But Magnus for Magnuson was my guy. He, he was he was awesome. I think he won four times. I think he was a four time champion. He was but, huge. No, no, but that's the thing. He wasn't huge. Well, compared to a normal human being, he was huge. Yes, but opinion. compared to the. Guys, yeah. To the human yeah. titans that he was, he was about in his heyday competitively. He was about six four, two hundred and ninety, three hundred pounds, something like that. Now you may say that is a monstrous person. That is tiny. Like for instance, the mountain. Um, I now yeah. forget what his real name is. The guy that plays the mountain on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, Oh, for crying out loud. Anyway, he is he is a world's strongest man competitor, and he just set the world deadlift record by lifting roughly 1,100 pounds and making it look easy. Now, do you know how big he is? I do not. Uh, let me look. At He's what something. Magnuson, Magnuson was 6'3", 287. I, exactly. I was dead on, right? 290. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can look at um, the mountain, as we're going to call him until Chad finds his real name, is somewhere along the lines of six eight, four hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, uh, let's just say his last name's Bjornson. Uh, yes, Hoff, it's like Hoff, it's like Hofford. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is six nine, four hundred and fifty two pounds. Okay, so I under I understated his weight by thirty pounds. He's four hundred and fifty. <laughs> pounds he's from iceland as well as as was magnuson he's goliath nine four fifty two right so again magnus for magnuson at six three two eighty five is a pygmy compared to this guy um but that is what was your favorite world strongman event i think it to me it was the boulder toss i i just enjoyed wait what's the what the boulder toss they, they took up that big rock and they would throw it. it don't you remember that? And then, well, or the, the looked like the shake weight too. It wasn't a shake weight, but it was like a dumbbell that was. You'd right. Well, they had the Husafell stone. Okay. You know yeah. that one where they have to carry this sort yeah. of heart shaped rock that weighs, I don't know, it weighs more than a tractor trailer. And then it's like Crazy. whoever can carry it the farthest before their femurs snap, uh, <laughs> you win. That's what and, I mean. You'd rock. It's like crazy. Yeah, but they don't throw it. They have to carry no. it. I, I, and the hard part about them. carrying it was that they could, the, the technique was you had to rest it on your, your barrel chest, but they could never get their arms totally around it so they could clasp their hands. So trying to keep this thing up. And by the way, if you drop it, you know, it'll pulverize your feet. If it lands on your foot, forget it. You might as well just amputate right there. Your foot is gone. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> the other the other event that I liked is when they would stack people, like literal people that would sit in sort of a wagon, and oh, then they yeah. would have to like shoulder press them, and it would get yeah. up to like you know whatever four hundred or five hundred pounds, and they're I think it's probably more than that now. Um, they had the overhead log press, and then they have the keg toss, right? You know, remember the keg toss? I I'm confusing the keg toss with the the boulder, but yeah. Right. The keg toss, for those who have not enjoyed many hours of World Strongest Man, is <laughs> they have to stand with their back to basically a um, – it's like a vertical barrier, and you have to – you get momentum by swinging the keg sort of under your legs and then you have to throw it over your head backwards and it has to clear this probably, was it like 20 feet high, this barrier? Well, and the problem is, is that the kegs don't change in weight, but it's who can throw the most over in whatever, like 30 seconds. And of course, I think the kegs weigh what, like 50 to 100 pounds? Might be 100 pounds. They were full kegs, weren't they? Yeah. So I think it's somewhere, it's between 50 and a hundred pounds. So it's always, you know, the first couple ones go over easy. And then by the time they're at like their eighth or ninth one and they're getting tired. And so what usually happens is it's going going straight up in the air and and it's a couple of times almost brained a few of these guys who can't get out of the way. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's excellent. Very, very, very good fun. You, you mentioned the strong, the mountain. He lift. He deadlifted, one thousand twenty six pounds. No, no, it's more than that now. No, it's, it's more just, than that. Yeah, but I thought it was eleven hundred. I thought mm-hmm. it was eleven hundred and four. See the fact that I actually. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh huh. No, the le- the record is eleven hundred and eleven hundred. That he that was Eddie Hall. See, it's very scary that I know all of this, but oh, Eddie, he said Eddie, Eddie Hall. Um, the mountains lift this week was on the elephant bar, which is made to be longer than regulation Olympic bar in order to accommodate extra weights. Even though he could have made a third attempt to break the elusive 1,104 pounds and win hundred thousand dollars. He ultimately opted to save his energy for the rest of the competition. No, no, you missed it. He, he has, you're, you're behind the news Um, and and shame on you for not knowing what the current (laughs) status of he in his own gym. Uh, Hathor Bjornsson in his own gym within the last two weeks videoed and set the new record and it may okay. have been 1105 pounds. It wasn't wow. in the world's strongest man competition. He did this on okay. his own and because okay. Eddie Hall had set the previous record. So Chad, Chad please, when you come on the air, have your facts about the world deadlift well, record straight. As I'm looking at this picture, it reminds me of the Olympics in the uh, late seventies and early eighties with the East German women and the Russians. And did it, when you watch them do their lifts and do their deadlifts and, and the bar is bending almost in half, didn't you, you're like, that's amazing. And it just, it just fascinated me how they were able to lift that over their head and all the chalk they got on just trying to get that up over their head. And getting it up and then just dropping it. I'm thinking, man, that floor's well, got to break. And plus, Chad, you missed the most. Plus, doing it all natural. That is <laughs> so incredible. Yes. Those East yes. German and Russian lifters with their stringent yes, drug testing protocols. Well, I'm In talking fact, about the female ones. The female ones with the beards. The I'm not ones. sure. I'm not sure whether they would genetically actually still qualify. Uh, as females, given the given the program that they were on, uh, what we know about before, 
Just think of Ivan Drago and Rocky Four. Well, Saturday, that's the classic Saturday Night Live skit, the All Drug Olympics. Do you remember that? Yes. Where where they would have, I think it was Dana Carvey would come out in his like uh, Hans and Franz suit, and then they were trying to deadlift and their arms would rip off. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I just remember watching that and just being fascinated by how much weight they were lifting. And it's just like, I, I don't care if you, again. But that's nothing. That's nothing now. Well, it's nothing now. But I can't fathom picking something up where the bar is bending as I'm picking up and putting it over my head. Can you? I can't even fathom being able to. Well, I can't fathom you doing that, that or me doing that. But I can't imagine anybody doing uh, that. I can fathom a man who is 6'9 and weighs 450 pounds doing that. I can't even imagine that. I mean, that's. That's just so unimaginable to me that somebody could lift over a half a ton. Does that not surprise deadlift a half a ton? I don't mean just kind of pick it up and lift it with your back and shoulders. I mean, put it over your head. Here's, here's what I always think about. And I know this has been tried before. And I know that pro football is, is a very complicated sport and it's more about, it's, it's not just about strength, but if you know anything about this guy, Hawthorne Bjornson, the mountain growing up, he was not close to this size in terms of like his bulk. He was a very good basketball player. So this guy's actually a good athlete. Now, can you imagine taking that guy? If he has any ability to at least, you know, understand a playbook and plugging him in at some, uh, somewhere on an offensive line, a guy that can deadlift 1100 pounds, who's six, nine, how could you move him? You'd have trouble. I mean, you just put him at right or left tackle. Well, if you're on the outside, you have to worry about quickness. So you put him in at a guard spot, right? And you say, your only job is to stand here and not let anyone push you backwards towards the quarterback. Who's pushing that guy anywhere? Well, why wouldn't you put him on the defensive line? Well, because then you get into, okay, it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, but you could put him on interior defensive line as well and say, Your job right now is anyone that runs up the middle, you just stand there. You could even eat a sandwich. Just eat a sandwich. Just stand there. Let them run into you and fall over. Right? That's all we need to do. Sounds good to me. I I, I am fascinated (laughs) by these uh, sports I haven't thought about in decades because we had other sports to watch. Uh, And I will be honest with everybody. I don't watch a lot of sports in the spring. Um, I'm not really watching anything until football comes around. That's kind of a dead zone. Well, it is. For, well, are, you including, are you including March Madness? I'll watch some of March Madness, certainly the, the you know Final Four, but I don't watch. I don't watch baseball. Um, I know no offense to anybody who likes baseball, and I know we've got some listeners who love baseball. I couldn't care less about baseball. It's it's a slow, boring game. It's stat <laughs> nerds. I'm not a stat nerd, so I I don't really care. Um, you know, if you if you could. I don't think that everyone that enjoys baseball is a stat nerd. Not everyone, but everybody who is a stat nerd enjoys baseball. Well, no, but here's the thing. In fact, most of the people who, let's say, are from our generation Uh who who really like baseball, many of them despise the stat nerds, as you call them, because they believe that they have all of the sabermetricians. Well, not sabermetric stats, but they can tell you what what, uh, third baseman for the Pirates – hit in 1956 because that matters we have a very we have a very good mutual friend who if he happens to listen to this will be we're gonna have he's gonna have to call in he will and and subject you to uh, a a rigorous verbal beating over that characterization 
this same person you're speaking of, uh, we watched Game Seven of the World Series last year at my house. No, I'm thinking of a different person. Oh, well, this other person I'm thinking of watch is a baseball nut. We watched Game Seven. He left in the fourth inning to go home to go to bed. I stayed and watched the whole game. Right. No, no. The person I'm thinking about is a, is also an avid Cornhusker football fan. Oh, oh. I think you probably yeah. know who this is. I do and, know how you and, and the, the characterization. Yes, Royal the characterization of him as a stat nerd. I don't okay. think he's going to I don't think he's gonna like that. So I, I will say exceptions, but I, I think all stat nerds are baseball fans. He may not be a stat nerd, therefore not a but he's still a baseball fan. I, it's just not my thing. And you know, that's okay. If you, if you enjoy it. Uh, but right now there's no sports on. So no, nothing mainstream. Anybody's watching. Uh, I'm waiting for the reruns of curling. And um, I don't know if you know this, they, they have a competition in Switzerland uh, called the cheese roll. Uh, they actually well, roll, they roll cheese down there. there. There is a tremendous sport and I would encourage people to look it up. Um, it is the Russian slapping championships. I have seen that on YouTube. <laughs> yes. And so it is exactly what it sounds like, uh, where two ra- very burly men, the guy that won looked like a human grizzly bear and they uh-huh. stand just like you would stand at an arm wrestling table. I think there's actually drinking involved as well. I'm not sure, sure but basically, is. but basically they open palm, slap each other in the face as hard as possible. Um, and actually, it's not even just, it's like the side of the face. I'm, I'm thinking 40% of them suffer ruptured eardrums. But the guy that won, actually, it's hilarious because he was sort of the Michael Jordan of the Russian slapping contest because everyone that went up against him, they would slap him in the face and it looked like they had hit him with a napkin you know, like, like brushed him with a napkin and then he would haul off and wail on these people where they would crumple to the ground. Like they had just been shot with a cannon. So, uh, and I think he won, I don't know, there's some prize you get a a steer or 30,000 rubles or something, but it is the quintessential Russian sport other than, um, motocross soccer. The, the, uh, Russian champion, his name, his nickname is Dumpling. He's six foot seven, three hundred. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> Just because it's an open hand, if you watch uh, any of the video, you do yeah. not want. You would not want to have Dumpling slap you in the no. head. No. You, you probably would wake up several weeks later in the ICU. Yeah. Well, they. I guess they did it in a prison setting, and the internet star was going back and forth trying to raise money. Um, he was slapped into a mini coma late last year, but bounced back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's when you know you you've hit hit something there. Uh, when slapping is is a competition. Um, uh, I don't know. That's the, the weird stuff. But you know, right now we're all starved for something to watch, and I cannot watch another game show or judge show. Um, wait, wait a minute. Family. You said you said another. That means that you've been watching game shows or judge shows. On TV, and I'm currently staying with my parents, and they like judge shows and game shows, specifically Family Feud. Oh. Uh, I, I didn't dislike Family Feud until I had to watch it so many times over and over. I, uh, I think and I like I, Steve Harvey. I think Steve Harvey's kind of funny. 
Yeah, uh, I, I but, think you uh, should bite. You should definitely bite down on the cyanide capsule if you. Yeah, uh, not so much the game, the game shows, but the judge, the judge shows are just intolerable, just oh. inhumane. Violate, violate the Geneva Conventions. Please, please tell me that you do not watch Hot Bench. I do not, uh, but my mother does, uh, and thankfully, she usually watches it during the day when I'm not around. I'm at work. So I don't have to uh, subject myself to that. So, yeah, feel feel bad for me um, that those are the shows that I am subjected to so that I go onto YouTube just to watch anything that's not a judge show or a game show. So and there's a game show my dad really likes called The Chase. It's no longer on, but it's on the game show network. And he just is fascinated by this large man from England who knows all this trivia. It, it's fascinating. I don't know. Is he, is he called uh, Sir Dumpling? He's called the Beast. Oh, the Beast. I, I don't. I don't think a trivia master uh, qualifies for the Beast nickname. He's huge. I mean, he's six five. He's got to be close to four hundred pounds. Six five. Maybe he's also a world's strongest man. He probably is not, but he might be a slap champion. I'm not going to say he's not. I don't know. I don't know what he does in his off time. So anyway. We had to get some of the sports out there because uh, some some listeners had asked. Or next week, next week we will culminate with um, my summation of the Last Dance documentary, which Ooh. episodes nine and ten, the last two, are this coming Sunday. Okay, um, I've watched through six. I've watched through six. Here's my take so far through the six. I haven't watched seven and eight yet. I like Michael Jordan less. You said this before. No, well, but I. I, I like him even less each time I watch an episode. I like him less. That's interesting because that's completely wrong. Uh, but but also <laughs> I mean, he's a phenomenal player. And I know, but, but the interesting, but see, it's interesting because they actually Colin Cowherd did yeah. a poll uh, of this question about you know people who are watching this, and the poll interestingly was directed to people 25 and under, meaning people that didn't watch Jordan or know about him. Because anyone, see, I I follow Jordan's career very closely. So none of this, you know, this hyper-competitive, almost pathological need to win is a surprise to me. And it doesn't bother me in the least. Uh, But that poll said, what do you think? Do you you think more or less of Michael Jordan? What do you think the breakdown was for, for younger people? More. 90% 90% said they like him more. 10% said they, but why, why do you, that t- completely astonishes me, particularly well, in this era of you've triggered me. You're wait a minute. You're yeah. yelling at your teammates. That's, that's not nice. But, but the way that the way the show portrays it, and it's not inaccurate in certain aspects like that. He did some phenomenal things. I mean, he was, I don't know, otherworldly at times. And, and anybody, again, watching this and then watching LeBron James, I don't know how you compare the two from a talent level. LeBron James, different player. Agreed. But man. But so if you had to identify what is the single thing that makes you like him less, what is it? Is it, is it the hyper-competitiveness? Is it the mean-spirited kind of jousting with his teammates? What specifically has is putting you off? I think it's, and I knew about the hyper-competitive thing. It's just been a couple decades since it's really been in your face. And I appreciated what he did. It was the, it was the constant belittling of those around him. That's the part that bothers me. And you could say it's hyper-competitive, 
I say it's mean-spirited and somewhat counterproductive. Now, Jerry Krause was had his own flaws. But I don't think I don't think you go out of your way to be Are you talking about belittling? Krause or in terms of what Jordan was doing belittling people oh. or are you talking about his teammates? Both. I'm talking about everybody. So like the one episode, I think it was episode 5 when they were in uh, the dream team. And he just he's talking about Isaiah and how he never said Isaiah, but you've heard enough reports. He didn't want Isaiah on the team. And then uh, Michael Wilbon comes on and says, Well, other other players on the team had beefs with Isaiah. I'm like, Yeah, but it was it was Jordan and they needed Jordan. But the fact when they went to the, get the gold medal and he wouldn't let Reebok's uh logo be shown, that's petty to me. I'm sorry. Well, and I don't why is that petty? Because if I'm if I'm a sponsor and I paid for the equipment, I paid for all the things, knowing I'm going to have my logo on international TV. Why is it okay for you to do that? So I paid money, and in good faith, you advertise my thing. You don't like that. Don't be on the team. Don't don't go to the Olympics. Why is it okay for it? Because he's a Nike guy. Why well, is that okay? It's okay for a number of reasons. Number one, you didn't pay Michael Jordan. Sure and Reebok didn't pay. Reebok didn't pay for either. Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan on his own dime did all the travel, did well, all the, the U.S. Olympic Federation pays for that trip. And who who got that money? Was right. that from but here's, okay, so but here's the other point, which I think you're missing, which is Michael Jordan isn't just some other guy who wears Nike apparel. He okay. is literally the most, at that point in time, the most famous person in the world. Sure. His, his endorsement, having Michael Jordan in front of your product in terms of monetary value is worth billions of dollars. And this is a guy who has a contract with another company. So my view if Chad stands up in his Reebok gear, no, no offense, nobody cares because you're sure. not moving the needle, nor sure. Tony, nor anybody. If nobody Michael Jordan know. stands on an Olympic podium in his Reebok gear in front of tens of millions of people across the world, that matters. And he has a contract with another company that is paying him tens of millions of dollars to represent them globally. Sure. I think... I think I view it as incredible loyalty to the people that have paid him to as a global icon to represent them. And what did he do that was so bad? He covers it with the American flag. So you're mad on behalf of Reebok that they didn't get to no. see Michael Jordan wearing their stuff? I'm not mad at, on behalf of Reebok. I'm I'm bothered by the fact hey, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were converse people. But but they nobody were, cared. That's the point. Well, the, the, in terms of moving merchandise, they are they're not even a speck in, okay. in, in the universe that Jordan inhabited in terms so, of marketing. So tell me, if if the Reebok logo had been shown, would they have not sold Air Jordans? I don't know. Would made, made a bit of difference about the Air Jordan sales, you know. And if Nike was so concerned about not representing at the Olympics, they could have paid for the Olympics. They didn't have to let Reebok. Reebok didn't have to win that. Well, again, the thing is, Nike probably didn't care. The point is, we got the advertisement without having to pay for anything. Right. But the point is, 
their most important ambassador, who is the most important guy in the whole world, decided, I'm not going to. I'm not going to allow my company that pays me their brand to be diluted by people seeing me mm-hmm. in a different outfit. I view that as incredibly loyal. I don't, I don't know. I don't see how it qualifies as being petty. Maybe people were saying, well, just why do you even think about something like that? But that's the way that guy's mind worked. Okay. We're, we're agreeing to disagree. As we said in the opening, I just, I, I don't like his, I, I I'm watching these episodes and I'm thinking to myself, I am surprised that he's allowed this to be released because it does not paint him in a particularly great personal life. Well, but did you, it's interesting. Did you hear what he said? And we will, we'll close, or you can finish after I say this. When they interviewed Will Perdue uh-huh. and Bill Wennington. I didn't, about read, the, I didn't watch seven and eight yet. So okay. So uh, this is a bit of a spoiler for you, but you'll see this because seven and eight actually show footage from practice where he is yelling at people. And doing all the stuff that you don't like. And it's interesting because what Will Perdue said was something along the lines of, listen, let's get it straight. He was a jerk and he was an something whole. And <laughs> but Perdue then says, Man, but when, but when I think about it in hindsight, in terms of what he was trying to do, he was a great teammate. And what Wennington says is, yeah, there were many times that he overstepped. But all he was trying to do is win, and guess what? It worked. And what sure. Jordan Jordan basically says is, look, if you were not somebody who was going to be on my wavelength in terms of commitment to winning, I had no use for you. And that is a very kind of Darwinian attitude, but he, he doesn't make excuses for it. And what he then says is, I never ask any person to do a single thing that I wouldn't do. I understand why people find that to be jarring and certainly not necessarily an approach that would work for many people. But you also have to remember, this isn't Little League. These guys are at the highest threshold of professional sports. They're grown men. Okay. They're not college kids. And Jordan's not their coach. And he's basically saying uh, in kind of no uncertain terms, you either compete, you certainly can't be as good as me. But you compete at the same level that I do every day or you're done, you're gone, and I will make your life miserable. That is not necessarily a good recipe for life. I don't think it's a good recipe for parenting, but it's a pretty darn good recipe for winning basketball championships. I will agree with you on that. I would contend that the relationships with Charles Barkley and Scottie Pippen appear to be fractured. Uh, He seemed to... It's not fractured. It's not fractured with Pippen. It's fractured with Barkley. Well, I, I, I've read enough that says maybe Pippen just hasn't commented on it. I I think there's some, I mean, he hasn't spoken to Barkley for, I think it's going on like 10 years. Yeah. He was, which is sad, which is sad. I, I actually agree with you in that context. I, I think it, it, that is where Michael Jordan looks small. He's he's angry because Barkley, as a TNT analyst, criticized aspects of his uh, when he was the GM and then the owner of the mm-hmm. Hornets. And in my view, trashing a friendship over that, that is petty. That yeah. is incredibly petty. And I wish somebody around Jordan would say, listen, you've thrown away an incredible relationship with a guy that you were close to because he did his job 
and mm-hmm. said that basically you were not doing a good job, which objectively he was not as the no, general no. manager and owner. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable that he would do that. So I agree with you there that it is a very, it's a regrettable thing from the outside that Jordan has done that. And that is an incredible petty thing for him to have done. Okay. So I, I look forward to watching seven and eight. They've been fascinating. And it's not that I didn't know what was going on. It's just refreshing my memory about a lot of things that I'd forgotten about for the last two decades. So it's kind of interesting to me. So we'll go out with that. We've gone really long tonight, but thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. This has been a Hannah Tree production.